What up? What up? What's going on? Hey, Paul. Hey, Ant. What's going on, man? How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Be, 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 be. Not to go into Bond for another hour. Yeah. <laughs> but you you were just telling me that you saw the, the new Bond flick. I, I just saw the new Bond movie, yeah. <clears throat> it was very, very good. Uh, it was excellent. It was really, I really enjoyed it. It was a good closing chapter. Um, Daniel Craig was brilliant. Everybody was brilliant, and the music was brilliant. And I, th- I found the Billie Eilish introduction song to be appropriate. I would yeah. say appropriate for that that movie and appropriate for <clears throat> the the time. And you know, because you have to have somebody that's like famous right now, right? So. It makes sense. Yeah, it good. It makes sense. Yeah, it was good. It was a really good all round. The only problem was somebody was <clears throat> right where we were sitting. Somebody was like commenting the entire movie. Oh my god! Like, oh my god, I love her dress. I wonder where that is. What type of car do you think that is? Oh my fucking god! His eyes are so blue. <laughs> oh my god! I wonder, I wonder is that real drink, real alcohol they're drinking? Like, just like it, it was really super annoying. So doesn't uh, that make you want to? Yeah, just lose it on the person. <laughs> you know, like. Like what are you, where are, where do you think you are? Yeah, it makes me want to go down to the DMV and get a license to kill. Uh, hey, <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, um, yeah. no, but it's it's so like per public service announcement. If you're in the cinema, shut the fuck up. That's all I can say. Just shut up. Yeah, just nobody just wants sh- to hear what you have to say, and shut up and watch the movie. Yeah, because we're for, yeah. leaving our houses. Mm-hmm. To go to this quiet, supposed to be quiet theater. It's yeah. dark for a reason. You know what I mean? Like yep. we're mm-hmm. trying to full immersion. Yep. That, I mean, that's why the, these new reclining seats are there too. They're just trying to get you only to focus on the on the the movie. That's why I don't like that's the right. waiting. Like, give me the recliner. That's cool. But what's this bullshit with a waiter? Like, well, get out of here. They want to that. sell you food. They want to sell you like. I, I I had a dine-in experience at a movie theater once, and it's never going to happen again. It sucks. It's it's, it's not it's not the place to go for for healthy on the well, button that, cuisine. Well, that well that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's being cooked by a fourteen-year-old. I mean, I don't, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure there's very good fourteen-year-old cooks yeah. out there, but I don't think they're employed by AMC somehow. But it real was good. Qu- real quick, by the way, in that movie, one thing that I that really I I, I thought was so awesome was uh, when those guys were in the uh, that facility to steal, mm-hmm. you know, that thing, and mm-hmm. they went into the elevator shaft. Do you remember what they did? They like they like tossed some sort of thing, and then these, I guess, magnetic. Oh yeah, right. And yeah. then when they. Jo- they jumped down the elevator shaft with yeah. no cable, nope. and then they but they had this this gear on or something on mm-hmm. them. So then the magnets were very strong, and it they were you know I guess they were magnetic too with this thing mm-hmm. on them, and it slowed them down. I was so it's that crazy, shit right? right there. That's yeah. the kind of stuff I love. You know, you know that Tom Cruise was sitting at home going, "Fuck, fuck, yeah, <laughs> fuck." <laughs> and also, like we were, we were talking just before the podcast and <clears throat> before we started recording, 
Shout out to Anna Darmus. Oh yeah, she was awesome. Who played a, a character called Paloma in the movie? It's really good. Not, she was awesome, dude. Not uh, it was unexpected and, and very cool. I hope they do a spinoff. Yeah, man, I would. I would so watch. Mm-hmm. Watch that. Um. <clears throat> all right, so today's episode, Paul and I. Uh, we talked about it last week. So Paul and I each picked an album that we think is great to us. Mm-hmm. It's a great listen. Sent it to each other midweek, and uh, we gave it a listen each. And uh, and now we're going to talk about it. So, mm-hmm. which one do we want to start with? You want to start with uh, the Crowded House album, Together Alone? We can start with yours. All right, cool. Okay. Age Before Beauty. <clears throat> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, so, wait, you mean start with mine, the one I picked, or the one that I listened to? Which one? Yeah, Jordan Jordan Reiki? Jordan, I guess it's Rakai, I think. Rakai? Okay. I think so, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, what you think? I mean, so like from from just a jumping off point, full disclosure, I'd never heard of this artist before. I'd never heard this album before, obviously. Um, really, really like from a from a sonic point of view. <clears throat> I mean, the the record was was made in two thousand and seventeen. Yes, yeah, so I think 20, either 2017. Yeah, that's it. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, it sounds exactly like I want an album to sound right now. You know, right. it's got yeah. it's got a lot of elements that I really enjoy. Which is, um, I know that there's there's a couple of songs on there with uh, electronic drums, but a really nice vintage dead sounding drum sound. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, and really really good vocals. Like, so what? On first listen, um, I was like. Okay, so what happened is Jeff Buckley uh, left his DNA somewhere, and then, <laughs> yes. uh, and then, and then somebody created yes. a, a a creature from the DNA of Jeff Buckley and Sam Smith. Yeah, and uh, and now this, and now it's it's Jordan, and uh, it's the vocals are phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, there are, there were, <clears throat> I mean, the opening track. I thought. My only criticism of the op- of the the album, I think it's the opening track. If I was Tom York, I would be calling my lawyer. <laughs> uh, there was like a there was like a part at the end of it where it's it's very much like uh, some Radiohead song that I that I. So the, you're I talking about the one. one? It's called Eye to Eye. And I think there's like a like, yeah, there's like a, a weird piano. time signature. Yeah, um, it sounded like I don't know if it sounded like Paranoid Android or if it sounded like everything in its right place, but it sounded very familiar to me, like very suggestive, but really well done as well. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't ripping at all. It was just like that's I didn't clear, get that from that actually. Yeah, it's clearly an influence of his. Um, and then so it kind of when I started listening to it, <clears throat> I was like I was immediately put in the frame of mind of when Jeff Buckley joined Radiohead <clears throat> and had you know Steve Jordan drumming <laughs> that's what I kind of felt like oh, I was I got listening you, to yeah. so it's a really good album and it goes through like the first three songs are very very good and then it gets to this song called Nerve oh and man dude that is a track yes tell me tell me about tell me about that that track Nerve I mean uh, it's hard dude it's it's 
hard to um it's the perfect first of all it's just the perfect song track meaning mm-hmm. meaning the the information every all of the, the content is great mm. right but the lyrics okay right that's right that's the one yeah that's uh on i'm trying to think of the melody real quick but because the song is um great groove mm-hmm. and then is that the one at the end too yeah this is really fucking cool like rhythmic keyboard part that mm. you know the beat is and then the the keyboard's gone right so cool um how can i find the how can i find a reason to love you when that's i don't right. love myself that, and that's like a, it's kind of like a mantra he Holy speaks it like a mantra at the end yeah it's really cool I mean it's kind of you know what I've it's kind of if there was such a genre as progressive soul it would be that because sure. it's it's very it's quite poppy it's quite soulful but sure. using all these like odd time signatures meters different various different like uh, you know musical tools <clears throat> and, dude that that first track by the way I just gotta say this too because you've watched Mr. Robot and you know what that show's mm-hmm. about. That eye to eye. Okay. Right? That we don't see eye to eye. And then the the, the rhythm, of course, is such a weird rhythm. Yeah. Uh, but I swear to God, that should have been the like the trailer music to like Mr. Robot, the first yeah. season or something like that, or maybe the second season. It's, we don't see eye to eye. And I think he's talking to himself. Yeah, or his his that, inner that psyche. Part of his, his, yeah. yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. I felt the same thing. He was he was having a conversation with himself. Yeah, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's actually weird that you, you bring up Mister Robot because it's very like Mister Robot is a a TV show that people of myself and your age watch. It's for us. It was made for us. Yeah. It was made for our generation, <clears throat> and uh, that like this album, Wallflower, is super generational. It fits. It is exactly of its time, which is sure. insanely. It's so appropriate. It's crazy, but I mean, I don't. I didn't really know that much about the recording of the album. Like, it sounds oh, yeah. like. I mean, was it like a Stevie Wonder type situation? Do you think that he do everything himself? No, or did he? no. He um. So I. I mean, well. He play. I think he plays. Yeah, he plays guitar. He plays keys. So he does. He has all that stuff. Mm. Um. And drums, though, he works with the guy. And I'm. I've been trying. Like, for, I always have to rediscover this guy's name. I always and I feel bad. I've and I've done this on a recording of a, a prior podcast episode, where I'm like, "What the fuck is this guy's name?" Jim mm. something. Uh, Jim, I think Jim in, something. Jim something. Yeah, <laughs> the, the something clan. I think it's like McKay, <laughs> McCray, maybe. Okay. I think it's Jim McCray. I think, but um, yeah. So he's he's a he's like a recording engineer, and but he's also a drummer, and so mm-hmm. they did it at his studios. I think that he might have something in London, possibly, or somewhere in England. Um, right. So he, he works with him 
on pretty much I think every I think every every almost every one of his uh, albums um he's a good drummer he knows how to dial in those sounds man I gotta be honest I think that they I don't know how much I because I listened to I listened to a podcast episode with like three of them mm-hmm. talking about you know so like there like there was this um there's a song on here called which one was it uh see it might be chemical coincidence is what it's called and if not that one then it's one of them they so what they did was they 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 had uh where wherever his studio was located there was like a sort of like a food court type place okay big open room right um and I think what he said was they asked whoever owned it, can I record something for 30 minutes in here? And like whenever this place is closed, mm-hmm. I'll come in as early as you want. I'll co- you know, as late as you want, whatever. So what they did was they brought speakers and maybe like a couple mics. Right. And they played what was already recorded, what, the, what they had recorded dry. Mm-hmm. in the box right and they played that over the speakers and then recorded the reverb they wanted to get that natural reverb so wow they okay. made i mean it sounds great it really does uh which you know that sounds fun that just sounds like it made the process more fun so so they they basically pumped the pre-recorded thing into the space and then re re like almost like reamped it through a room Yep. See, that's interesting because that's exactly how Reverb was created. It, they had these yeah. chambers underneath the Capitol Studios, mm-hmm. and they, there was like four or five chambers of different shapes, which gave them different reverbs, and they would just pump the the track through it, and then re-record it in that chamber, and that's how that reverb. It's crazy. It's amazing. But it's 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 so authentic as well because uh, I'll have to go back and listen to that track again and see if I can spot the. Uh, the the was it the entire song or just a particular yeah, yeah. the entire song yeah crazy um, right yeah and th- th- another thing that they did on a particular song was they he and they exp- he explained what they did it was that mm-hmm. they they recorded it he wanted it to have a certain feel to it sure but almost like an un unnatural so I guess the only way I I can explain it is do you know how in you know how in music videos, like specifically this video, I I could I know for sure. Do you know "No One Knows" by Queens of the Stone Age? Do, do you yeah. know that song? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And have you seen the video of it where they're playing? Like you see them playing their instruments, right? But it seems like the animation is f- just weirdly faster. Okay. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's some sort of effect, apparently. Like. So anyway, they did that with the track where they sped up. They sped up the track a cut like a couple BPMs. Mm. So it has this weird. It has a a weird, a little bit unnatural, uh, and I don't mean a negative thing by unnatural. Sure, just, mm-hmm. it, it sounds a little bit more maybe sampled. I guess if mm. that makes sense because he wanted it to sound like that. 
uh and it you know and definitely like there was like some sort of synth pattern that was maybe on a what is it called like a what's the, i see the words the, the, the rhythm um when you have a, a you hold down a chord and it does a arpeggio arpeggio that's the one right. there you go something like that so anyway go mm-hmm. ahead i took away the spotlight of this just getting into this but what else, what else did you enjoy uh, I do you know what I really enjoyed about it is I, I like I, I said a minute ago about the progressive soul I, I, I genred it I pigeonholed it sorry about mm-hmm. that okay. <laughs> um, but I, I really liked the 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 kind of uh, concertina of some songs were very kind of folky soul sure okay and then you had the more electronic stuff as well Um I thought I thought like that was it was just a very it was like a very easy listen not easy listening but a very easy listen it was very calming it was very vibey it was very I love the drum sound um but I mean it's just his voice like you can have all of that voice, and if that yeah. if you didn't have that voice like just and trying to describe the voice cuz it's not quite Jeff Buckley it's 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 somebody who's you know Sometimes it almost sounds like a female vocalist. I know there's a female vocalist yeah. on one of the songs. Um, and really, it's like when she comes in, I think it's the last track on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost, I mean, you can tell that's a different singer, but it's kind of, they, they sound so similar. It's, you know, and I really like that. I yeah. really like that. I, I really like when, when good singers are okay with like feminizing their voice. Jeff Buckley did it quite a lot. Um, Sam Smith does it quite a lot. Where they, um, you know, and it's not even. It's like you'd say, okay, well, they just do a falsetto. It's not. It's it's very soft and it's very. They get the scent. They can communicate the sensitivity of. I mean, let, put it this way: one of my least favorite songs ever recorded is a song called "Every Rose Has Its Thorn" by some shitty hair. Oh band. yeah, I hate that song. <laughs> but if if you had if you had Sam Smith sitting down at his piano singing it the way that he sings it. It would probably deliver, okay. Yeah, because because songs like certain types of songs need to be delivered with a certain amount of sensitivity, sure. and and I think where so many singers go wrong is they try to, you know, they try to sing it like you know, I'm I'm a really tough guy, but sometimes you know, sometimes like my puppy gets sick and I'm sad, you know. It's yeah. like yeah, 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 right, okay, whatever, man. <laughs> this guy this guy is completely you can tell that number one he's writing about things that he knows about there's authenticity to it and the authenticity is delivered completely through the instrument of his voice and mm-hmm. it sounds incredible and you you just it's like um I felt like I was at like a carnival you know when you're you're at a carnival or you're at fucking IKEA and you like you walk around a corner and it's just something completely new. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's it felt like that. It was like really engrossing and, you know. And I I consciously only listened to it like a couple of times. I didn't want to over listen to it. Oh sure. Because I really wanted to like portray a first impression. Mm-hmm. Um and that just stayed with me. Hours after I was I listened to the album I was like, wow. Great vocal sound, great vocals, and yeah. great and great, like really good recording of the vocal. But what an instrument he has! It's yeah, incredible, incredible. Yeah, Incre- yeah. Uh, I mean, the the there's a song on here, dude. That I remember the first couple listens. It it just it always like 
misled me. Mm. Um, it's called Clues Blues. Right. <laughs> you remember that one? It's, it's, it's a funny one, yeah, because he says Blues Clues in it, right? Yeah. That was but like a TV show, right? I think I think for copyright reasons, I think he couldn't. <laughs> couldn't write it is, down. Yeah, which that, is great, that, which is brilliant. That blue dog will come after you, man. Yeah, that fucking blue dog, dude. Don't fuck with that blue dog, <laughs> Don't dude. fuck with that blue dog. Don't fuck with that. It'll blue skidoo yeah. all over you, you know what yeah, I'm right? saying? It's already um, been made blue. I mean, it's going <laughs> to fuck you up. The, the <laughs> like, you know, blue, it's like, blues, clues, blues, clues, something like that, right? But then you think that this is, what is it? This is the tempo, and then you think that it's in duple time, and then it goes... And it goes like a ba 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 da ba ba na ba 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 swings, and it had like, yeah, it it specifically had this dub mm-hmm. flavor to it. This like, do you know what I mean? Reggae dub sound, yeah, sort of, and, like a deep deep bass and like a oh man. A kind of swing to it, yeah. And and cool. the, the the just the rhythm was that's what. So one thing that I I did, I wonder if. Yeah, did you notice in this song, he does this, and he does this a lot on the album after this, which is also fucking so good. Uh, but on this, do you know the song Sorceress on this on this album? Right, yeah. Right? So, which I think is my favorite. I think when I heard that, I think I nutted. Because mm-hmm. I just, it was, dude. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's just like everything I was looking for at that mm-hmm. moment in time, like to listen right. to is what I mean. You know what okay. I mean? So this album is special. That's why I love this album, man. Uh, so the song Sorceress, there's this... He'll sing very behind the beat. Mm-hmm. Very behind. Uh, like, And when somebody does that, you, in their, but they, they do it in a way where they you know that they're in control. Okay. It's... It makes the song. I mean, it makes it so much more interesting and flavorful and soulful, probably even too. In that, you know, um, yeah, ever so slightly behind the rhythm, yeah, of of the beat. And uh, he definitely does that on Sorceress for sure. So he's a drummer. Then he's got to be a drummer to be able to do I, that. I don't know, man. I think yeah. I think that that wor- I think the world that he's in 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 England in there's a there's a hub man of like musicians that are into this style that or these this influence of styles mm-hmm. and it might have something to do with the universities there i don't know how that works out but uh you have incredible musicians who have studied i guess jazz essentially in yeah for uh in a formal training sense mm-hmm. but then have their their influences outside of that and then this is what they come up with and uh it's it's really interesting you say that (laughs) that's super weird because on one of the tracks and i can't remember which one it was uh, again i'm new to this record um there's a very he's quite old now he's got to be in his 80s still playing he still plays live uh a bass player called herbie flowers okay and herbie flowers is the guy that remember that really famous song by Lou Reed? Hey, babe, take a walk on, the, a wild walk on the wild side. Yeah. Well, Herbie Flowers was the bass player on that. <clears throat> okay, and uh, he tells a very funny story about why there's because there's two bass lines on. There's an electric bass and a double bass. Okay, and he was 
Herbie was like 50s, 60s, 70s, English, London-based session guy. Now, okay. you think about all of the people that record these days with their, you know, MIDI setups at home and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. They, none of that existed before. People, you if you wanted a bass line on a song, you had to go out and find a bass player and um, pay him to come into the studio and, and play for you. But he was a very... He, so he played on a lot of hits. He played on a lot of David Essex. There's a very famous album that I really like a lot called The War of the Worlds by Jeff Wayne. Okay. Based on the, It was like a concept album based on the book by H.G. Wells. Uh, he played bass on that. There's a tune on this, on this album, and I don't know what it is, but I think it might be. It's either Herbie Flowers playing on it, or the producer sat down with the bass player and said, have you ever heard of a guy called Herbie Flowers? That's the bass line. That's the bass sound I want, and I want you to play like him. Oh, it's okay. crazy. It's. I was sitting there going, "Wow!" Do, it's do do like in that song. Yeah, do, exactly. Or is, or is that the guitar doing it? It's. That? It's no. It's um. It's the bass. It's so this this the sound is a Fender Jazz. Okay. With tape wound strings. What? Tape wound strings, not flat wound, tape wound. Oh, okay. So they're strings with like a black kind of tape around. So a super dead muted sound played with a pick and mute and pa muted even more with the hand. Okay. And it's it's a beautiful, beautiful bass sound. Oh, he uh, does it's, that. It's, he has that yeah. sound. What's I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of the song for that. Yeah, that's this it's the sound. It's almost like a McCartney esque type sound. Yeah, he has that on um on uh Carnation? Might no, be no, carnation. No, sorry. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Huh. No, no. I think it's chemical coincidence. I think. But do you know what the crazy yeah. thing is? Crazy yep. thing is, uh, Herbie Flowers, when he's not on tour with the because Water Worlds is a touring production now. Okay. He goes. He's he's a jazz guy, and he goes around to the universities with his jazz band and does like recitals, performances. Oh wow. So that's what you were just saying about like the jazz influence and like yeah. the universities and stuff. That's that's crazy that you said that, and I'm like, because I I wrote I even I think I made a mental note or wrote it down. Herbie Flowers bass sound on this record. Got to talk about that. Um, fucking great, crazy, crazy sound. But that's that's mad that you just said that. That weird confluence of like, actually there may be a there may be something to that scene, you know. I think so, man, because, you know, because they, what I like is they seem to collaborate with each other because there's a guy, I've mentioned him so many times, I love his albums too, is Tom Mish, his name is, and English Cat, and they've, the two of these guys have collaborated a ton, Mm. and and then there's there's another artist that they both collaborate with as well, and so there's something, there's, dude, apparently, look, apparently, apparently like a place like London, right? Sure. The appreciation for music, like the subculture of music, live mm. music of, of any sort is way more valuable and special than in, in like a New York or LA or, which yeah. is fucking awesome. Yeah. Which makes I mean, me a little it's... jealous, to be honest with you. <laughs> It's kind of weird. I, I actually lived in London for a while. Um, and I, I I wasn't really... At the time, I was only recording. I spent most of the time in the studio. Okay. Um, I wasn't really out playing live. But um, we did go through a little bit of a phase where it was very... 
I'm guessing like the early 2000s. It was very uh, stylized and very um, superficial. Okay. But but it kind of moved on from that. And, and currently, right now, um, in the last 10 years, there's been like artists like uh, um, Mr. Hudson, who's a oh, really... Mr. Hudson is a guy that actually Kanye West worked with a lot early on in his, Mr. Hudson's career. Um, and he is, he's a solo artist, but he writes some of the most beautiful pop, hip-hop music I've ever heard. It's really, okay. really good. Great songwriter. Um, you know, a lot of artists like that. There's a lot of... It's... <laughs> your success in, in, in the UK as an artist is far less based on how many on your fucking social media content yeah. as it yeah, is yeah. as it is here you know yeah. um like a lot of artists and actually elsewhere in the world it's weird um you know like I, i'm a i'm a huge huge fan of and i've actually <laughs> actually sent her an instagram message to see if she'd come on the show and she hasn't responded yet surprise surprise <laughs> uh, I, I'm an irish artist called siaval and siaval would actually be like like jordan a uh, very very similar uh, she plays very kind of soulful music, but she sings uh, Oscailga. She sings in Irish as well. As How do you spell that? Uh, S-I-O-M-H-A. Um, and she recently f- completed her f- debut long play album, and Joe Dart was her bass player. <laughs> oh, nice. Like, okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, lucky girl. Uh, so, um, but like, she's got a very, very... dedicated following and she hardly ever posts on social media and that's what I love about it like it's just like I see all these artists all the time um, like constantly constantly daily content and there's just no it's very vapid um, and they don't really they don't really we don't really have that back home like people people are in the studio recording music and writing songs and mm-hmm. creating creating good good sounds, you know that's what they're yeah. doing, and they're not what they're not doing is you know posting on social media every other day. It's it's crazy, but I, I think I, there's uh, you know. I, I hate it, man. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't I, I didn't you know. I didn't look for this guy on social media or anything, um, but I did. Uh, you know, I did get the sense that he again is just like I'm too busy doing what I'm doing to be <laughs> posting on social media yeah. all the time. You know, but like I look at, you know, like comparing things like like real artists that have like are su- super integ like have a lot of integrity, mm-hmm. like Chris Thiele and the Punch Brothers never post on social media like once a week maximum. Yeah, because they're yeah. out there creating music and doing their job. You know, and they'll they'll what I like is is posting they'll share something that's important to them or, or a mm. cool something cool you know something yeah. like oh this is this is uh it means something to them yeah and that's why i don't mind seeing it because that, and that's exactly cool, you know and i think i think what happens then is when you sit down and listen to their music there's an authenticity to it which i can appreciate even more now because, yeah absolutely you know it's it's great it's wicked yeah man um well, this yeah, this, so this one I've listened to thousands of times at this point. Seems <clears> like uh, so, <throat> you know, everybody check it out. It's if you're a drummer, you'll love it. Uh, mm. If you're a vocalist, or you love, vo- you know, you just love good singers, you'll love this. And it's interesting that in an interview he said he doesn't think of himself as that. He's not confident 
in his singing ability or whatever. Yeah. Just like, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Jeff Buckley said the you same know? thing. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It, he said it, there the is some, thing. there is a little bit of Jeff Buckley in, in there for sure though. I, yeah. I, I, I did notice that as well. I think yeah. if you, I think if he had a Wikipedia page, I think you would definitely see Jeff Buckley's name in there somewhere. I think, you know, yeah. and a lot, a lot of like, I mean, of course, I don't know what age he is. I'm assuming he's in his thirties. Uh, um, this this kid, <clears throat> I say kid because I feel like wow, he's yeah, he's like 29 or something. Yeah, so there's a lot of like a Radiohead influence there as well. Oh yeah, um, and a lot of soul, but English soul like Shade, things like that. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. Not necessarily a Motown vibe, more of a kind of Lisa Stansfield, Shade, um, yep. Lighthouse Family type type influence. You know, mm-hmm. which is cool. It's you know. Uh, M People M People were another really popular British soul band um, N commercials. People you said? M, M People M yeah. People M People yeah uh, there's a, like a, a weird like reminiscence of that there as well a little bit of Nora Jones I guess okay um, but like anybody that's into production sounds instrumentation vocal dexterity uh huh Jordan Riquet Jordan Rakai, I think, or Rakai. Something, something like that. Yeah, Wallflowers. Wallflower. And, I'm, and I'm yeah. trying to find the drummer's name, dude. The guy who produced I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna fill in the space here while you while you Go Wikipedia ahead. that. Uh, also, another great thing about this record is there's a female vocalist on the last song called Kaya Thomas Dyke. Okay, that's the next person I'm going to be listening to an album from because that voice, man, incredible. Just. Yes, sensational. I'm looking her up now. Uh, yeah. Do I? F- I didn't. I didn't quite have the same physical reaction as you had to the album. <laughs> 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 because because I'm not a savage. <laughs> but um, but you know, fair enough. <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> to each their own, right? To each their own. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the drummer's um, name? I'm, tr- I'm trying to, dude. It's like to find this guy. I've th- I've done this before. I, I'm like. Jim, yeah, Jim McRae. I'm spelling it wrong, dude. Your, your name is so hard to spell. Um, yeah, Jim McRae. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Um, and it's it looks as though he, yeah, he has he has his own recording studio, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, and uh, talented dude gets great sounds. Clearly, can you know? Um. I love I love his drum sounds because I remember mm. when I when I heard the album I was starting to get better drum sounds I remember right you know and just I dude I gotta be I, I I don't think I've been I don't think I've been into like I'm not into even sitting down and playing and practicing the drums as much as I am you know playing a drum part recording it and then it. trying to get that fucking sound that I'm trying to like that is something that I can spend hours right well it's so, very interesting and you 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 know you you realize that like kind of playing an instrument is almost like limiting where like sure. it, even though even though a great performance getting captured is like like that's invaluable the things that you can do afterwards to really make it you gotta because what you gotta do is you gotta take all of this you know amazingly tuned drums with great mics you gotta take this like really nice bass with like powerful pickups 
then you gotta squeeze it through these little fucking ear pods yeah. it's like it's crazy yeah. and uh you gotta make it sound good everywhere you know you everywhere to, that's a challenge man that's a it's real challenge a, yeah it's it, it is and uh by the way quick little thing because you and i were were talking gear and mm-hmm. talking about you're setting up your studio you know um so i uh i got this dude you got to check out you might want to buy it this plugin um mm. called auto align and it's by auto a company align. yeah it's by a company called sound radix okay and uh so essentially without going too into detail but do you like do you know that do you know that never mind snare drum sound do you know yeah. that like that sm- smells like teen spirit and mm-hmm. fucking in blue like that whole album right mm-hmm. that snare drum sound there's something about that snare drum sound that first of all it's it's large explosive mm-hmm. but also crisp yeah and and like easy on the ears you know mm-hmm. what i mean and like i've always wondered like how do you get that sound right mm-hmm. um and i'm not saying that in my tiny ass basement i'm going to get that sound that's not what i'm saying but i i've discovered something just through using this plugin that gets you closer to the sound that I'm describing. The sound that I'm describing is, is essentially every mic that's supposed to pick up that snare drum completely in phase okay. with each other. And it's almost like a, a, like a brass section mm-hmm. playing completely in tune. Their sound pops. It's it sounds bigger for some, you know, because all of those harmonics are right. in line and or, or whatever. Same with this, I think. Mm-hmm. Every when everything lines up, you get this that crisp, slappy, punchy sound that you want. And I did it the other day on a track, and it lined it it put everything in phase. And wow, that's crazy! Holy shit, you know holy shit it's you don't want to you know when you like you know when you get uh your your raw audio and you're like you listen to it you're like you hear the um i guess you hear what it's not yeah you're like oh okay here we go here we go all right i gotta do this i gotta boost this i gotta cut this Mm -hmm. this made me not want to touch it okay just like what I was searching for prior was I thought through something I wasn't getting and I thought by EQing or compressing that I was going to you know get there and apparently it was just simply things being in phase and that alone right. like it, so I was always chasing it's mm. always chasing this wow yeah well so I'm, you, I'm really glad that there's a there's a, a plug-in for it because the only other option it sounds like is to get butch vig to like produce to your butch record vig, that's right. <laughs> yeah. and measure Which is everything like, yeah. you know yeah. and do fucking do a fucking algebra equation yeah just you know. get, they should just get a, like a butch a butch vig plug-in and just <laughs> they like should with all of the crazy great things he did for music in the 90s you know oh, and man. of course he has his own band but garbage now which I mean, they've been around for years, but they're so fucking good, man. They're so good. I don't know enough so of of <sighs> garbage. I should. We, so we should. Let's pick an album. Yeah, let's do. Got... Do you want to? Do you want to do an episode about Virg, uh, Bit Butch Vig? Do you, or yeah, or do you want to do an do episode a... about like a producer 
that ha- that also is in yeah a, in a band should, you know what i mean we should do we should totally butch vig's a great example of that because he's he's an artist and a performer but he's also like a like a really well-known producer but yeah, yeah we should we should do a we should do a viggy, a viggy. You know, we should we should call it vig newtons vig newtons uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you love go it. love that um cool man so that's jordan and uh that's wallflowers wallflower wallflower singular look yes. it up on your chosen music streaming service uh you will not be sorry it's actually it's sunday afternoon now when does this uh when does this episode get released anthony probably next week which would be the uh 23rd or the 24th of october pop it on pop it on on a sunday afternoon or a sunday morning it's a really good like listen for you know just sitting down and listening to music and not doing anything else which is you know something i'm a huge proponent of you know don't don't do the dishes while you're listening to it don't do any laundry yeah don't, sit down just and sit listen. down and listen to it it's pretty it's a pretty interesting listen it's great and after that listen to the one after that called origins which i almost like they're different but mm-hmm. in a way better you know so um yeah. all right so paul you cool. chose you chose um which dude i don't know this band at all Really, I've I've heard the name, but Crowded House mm-hmm. together alone is the album. The mm-hmm. album came out in '93, and if you fucking didn't, if I didn't know it came out in '93, I would have said this album. I would have listened to it. And I said this album came out in '93 or '92 or something like that. It's just it's a very of its time, yeah. Perfectly mm-hmm. relevant to that time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. It's crazy good. So together alone. It's really interesting because what ended up happening is when we decided to do this this episode, we were like, let's just pick two albums that like we like. The, the music is great. The, the um, story behind the recording is great. The methods that they use to record is great. And here's an interesting thing that ended up happening. Um, Crowded House are... Uh, there's members from New Zealand and Australia. Um in the band and Neil Finn and Tim Finn were uh, New Zealish <laughs> uh, they're Kiwis and the drummer and bass player are from Australia Jordan is an Australian New Zealand musician based mm-hmm. in London that's mm-hmm. where he's from isn't yeah. that a really crazy coincidence that we both picked artists from that area it's crazy it's, it is pretty crazy yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize that. I didn't even think about that. So, Crowded House. Uh, I'm a. They're probably my favorite. You know the way like you have a favorite band. Yep. They're probably my favorite band. I got turned on to them when I was. Um, so my formation as a musician, as a bass player, I listened to heavy metal, thrash metal, uh, and heavy rock from around. <laughs> you know 11 12 up to like 16 17 years of age and then i was turned on to crowded house uh the first thing i watched was their farewell concert which is a weird place to start mm-hmm. um you're like starting at the end um and they've since reformed but um and i was like immediately two things happened i immediately fell in love with the band and my style of bass playing immediately changed i I didn't I was no longer using a pick. I didn't just play like heavy root notes. I was like 
I, I, within a year, I became an actual bass player, played bass lines and writing bass lines and all the rest of it. It was really, really formative for me. But, um, but of all of their, like, and Neil Finn, the main songwriter in the band, is a massively respected songwriter. Like, um, people like, um, you know, people like Dave Mustaine from, like, just the kind of wide variance of people who have, like, quoted Neil Finn as one of their favorite songwriters like people like Hans Zimmer Dave Mustaine um you know uh from Megadeth right from from Megadeth like yeah like these this like weird he's he's like this kind of you know the way that like if you sat down with like a group of very famous writers and they and you would be like who's your favorite writer and they would all say this one name Neil Finn is like that guy in the music industry. He's like the songwriter that, like Sheryl Crow, another one who's like a huge, huge fan of his songwriting. He's like this kind of talisman of songwriting within the music industry itself, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, massively respected and had like, you know, I mean, the, the thing that people say about Crowded House is, you know more Crowded House than you think you know. Okay. Because I remember back in the day when we started talking about Crowded House, I was like, yeah, don't dream it's over. That's Crowded House. And you guys were like, oh, fucking hell, yeah, that song. You know, Which song now, was hey that? Now, don't dream oh, it's over. Oh, I love that tune. Yeah. That's Crowded House. That's oh, wow. It was a huge, huge, huge mega hit all over the world. And everyone was like, oh, yeah. And then they had a weather with you. Everywhere you go, always take the weather. Like, oh, yeah, that's Crowded House. So you kind of, they're this weird, like, band that's, like, always been on the edge of, like, massive worldwide success, but never quite got it. Okay. Um, and uh, kind of this, this record together alone was their response to that in a way. It was like, it was, it was one of the very, maybe not one of the very first times that people did this. But definitely it was one of the first times a massive worldwide band did this in response to getting out of the, the churn of recording an album in the same way. So the, 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 we'll talk about the music on the record in a minute, but the, the, the way that they recorded it. Um, so for listeners, if you want to record an album, if you're a band that's signed to a record label, if you want to record an album, you do what? You book a recording studio, and you book an engineer, and you book a producer, and then you go in there for six months, and then you bring a load of songs in, and then you come out. You, you go into this, this place with three or four rooms and glass and all this electronic equipment, and then you come out and you've got a record. <clears throat> so uh, in 1991... Uh, well, 86, 89, and 91, they recorded three their first three albums. Crowded House, Temple Low Men, and Woodface. Crowded House was a massive hit, thanks to Don't Dream It's Over. Temple of Low Men was like a kind of good sophomore, you know? Okay. It was like, there was some really good songs in there. They didn't have any huge hits on there, but they kind of kept their standard going. And then they recorded an album called Woodface, which actually has a lot of really great songs on it, but the initial sessions that they recorded in a recording studio in Los Angeles were rejected by the record company. Wow. So they record, they spent months recording it, they sent it to the record company, and the record company were like, no, you gotta go back to the start and do it again. So, so what they actually did, and like, also at the same time the record company was like, oh, and also we, there's no more money for this, you gotta do it, you gotta figure it out, you know? 
because uh, the record company will pay for the studio time but then if you like you know they were told we're not going to pay for more like six more months of studio time so they went to back to Melbourne and uh, recorded in Neil Finn's brother uh, Tim Finn's house he had built a, a recording studio in his house called Periscope Studios and spent like two or three months recording there sent the album off to the record company we were like this is fucking brilliant like this was so much better so they had a couple of huge hits on Woodface again and can I ask though what do you think yeah. the reason might be for is it is it a sense of comfort because you it's your space or is it a sense of the whoever was they were working with as far as the producer that they paid mm. what do you think um, it's 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 why the reason I I personally think they've stated various reasons for 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 why and then so they went ahead and did together alone in the same way in a different place and I'll talk about that in a minute but it's about being organic you know okay. it's about being able to go you know what it's three o'clock in the afternoon there's a cricket match on let's just let's just shut it down for the afternoon we're not we're not getting anywhere with this vocal track or this organ track or whatever it's the ability to be able to do that oh i see because you're not you're in your you're in your own studio you don't you're not paying for the time so you sure. you basically you know if you're if you've rented out the hit factory at you know two thousand dollars a day for six months you're like you're, you're working every minute it doesn't matter if you're not in the space you're just gonna keep you know you're gonna keep at it keep at it keep at it and it's not very organic, really, when you think about it. In fact, for, for art, it's quite counterintuitive, you know. Um, and for this particular group of musicians, they found that when they were in the comfort of a place that was a house or a home, or, and they just set up a studio and recorded at their own time, at their own pace, um, they had, like, way better results. It was crazy. So what they did with Together Alone, then, is they went to a place in New Zealand and you should google this Anthony a place called Kare Kare and it's about an hour outside of Auckland <coughs> and it's also um, a dish it's a it, it's, yeah, it's a well Kare it's Kare a, is like it's Maori it's a I think it's a, f a fish dish or something like that it's Filipino yeah it's a yeah. it's a stew I think oh, wait, I've had this have you you've eaten <laughs> there you go I've eaten this yeah because it's, yeah. it's a peanut sauce and they usually have oxtail, beef tripe, pork, hocks, mm -hmm. pig's feet. <laughs> hey. There you go. Hey, it all tastes good. All right. Anyway, so, you're saying Kari Kari and New Zealand. Yeah, so put it in like Kari Kari Beach and just look at the photographs. So this oh, is wow, where they yeah. recorded it. Yeah. And so this basically, is the, first, the name of the first album, uh, the first song on the album, too. The first right? song on the album is called Kari Kari. Wow. Yeah, and it's a beautiful song. But it's beautiful. But like, if you if you pulled up photographs of this place and then played that song "Carry Carry," you'd be like, "Yeah." <laughs> so there was like this little. So there's a beach, and it's like very like volcanic cliffs, like mm -hmm. um, you know, like a lot of black sand there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's like this valley that cuts up about half a mile into inland, and that's where they they rented a house there. And they recorded, they set up a studio, they brought all this gear down. The place was only like an hour outside of Auckland. They brought all this gear down, a big mixing board, all their equipment. They rented this guy's house. And they were like, we're going to record the album here. 
you know, because they had kind of it's lost great, favor man. with the record company, so they didn't have the the backing of the record company. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, they just you know rocked up there, and they, you know, they were like some days they would get up and record, and they'd plug in and they do their sound checks, and then the weather would change, and they okay. would be like, oh well, let's just go to the beach, let's just go to the beach for the day, and then they'd go to the beach, and I'm sure there was some sort of chemical, you know, uh, influences there as well, and they would just. <laughs> You know, but then they would go back and they'd record like in the middle of the night and they would record at times of the day when like they would be recording one song and then the weather would change, like it would become all cloudy and misty and then we'd like, we need to record a different song now because it's just, it's a different atmosphere, you know? Yeah, it's I love that, man. The, um, yeah, so. The song, I love the song because it had the, I like, I like the, the phrase was in the verse was two measures of four. Yeah, and then a measure of six, and yeah. it just very cool, very cool decision, musical decision. Yeah, and it went with the melody. It was almost like, why add two extra beats? Fuck that, <laughs> right? And make it uh, three whole measures. Well, yeah, you know? I mean, and they like wouldn't necessarily have been a band where you think that they thought about, you know, like measures of bars and things like that. But it's actually like very subtly clever musicianship yes. you know yes. um, dude i have like, i have so many notes by the way yeah. that i wrote for every track so yeah just, it's just, it's yeah it's an intense it's on. an intense listen but so the first song on the record Kara Kara, has one of my the thing that i like the most in any first song on any album and that is a really good introduction to the drum part it's you think about it all of the best albums you go to track one on all of the best albums how do the drums come in it's it's like a kind of door opening and i think it's really really yeah exactly yeah so there's like this slide guitar part and then there's like a um you know there's this really great drum intro you know and it just goes and down in. and then that's it they're into the song yeah but it's got all the elements of a great crowd of house song it's atmospheric it's completely influenced by where they are it's a very elemental environmental and and it's got I mean those harmonies in the chorus the harmonies yeah all through so the album good. I mean they're, they're there yeah. all through the album but yeah. uh, in the chorus of this Kari Kari song it's just very like haunting and you know, beautifully, beautiful, uh, beautifully made uh, song, but um, yeah. But they're all over the place. I mean, on this record, it's 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 incredible stuff. But um, so the the album was produced by a guy called uh, Youth. The guy's name is uh, Youth. His name is Youth. He used to be the bass player in a British band called Killing Joke, and uh, he was a bit of a fucking nutcase. Really? And yeah. So he would like fall asleep in the middle of takes and like smoke too much weed and just like <laughs> But one of the things that like one of the reasons that they chose him is like he would just be like, Keep playing, keep playing, keep playing he was one of these producers, like, no 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 vibe out, just go crazy on the drums and all that and you can hear it in the record. You can hear it in it was pure creation. Yes. Um because uh ultimately when the album was done, it was sent off to Bob Clear Mountain it was a stipulation by the record company they were like oh, whatever you go down to the beach smoke as much weed as you like create whatever you want use this crazy English guy this English hippie who would <laughs> Martin like Martin Glover yeah. is his name 
Martin Glover is his name, yeah. And uh, but but Bob Clearmountain is mixing this record, and uh, apparently when Clearmountain got the the tapes, he was like, "Fuck it, <laughs> what is going on here?" But you know, think about it. Like, listen to the great Sonic album that he got out of it. But um, I I would say that was the first, without a doubt. Well, other than it being because I I I wrote like I wrote this that song is brilliantly nineties. Yeah. If you if you wanted to show somebody what the nineties felt like sonically, mm-hmm. that that's a song you can play or that out al- this album early yeah. nineties. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and. And th- what I like is everything sounds amazing too. You have the best quality, everything recorded, yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the you have a great vocalist, man. You have a great and yeah. seems like a great lyricist too. Um, Exceptional lyricist, yeah, and, and very and quirky. Like, I mean, but I would say the stuff deep in the mix mm-hmm. is the stuff I love the the most because. Yeah. There was a, there was a fullness mm-hmm. to each to every track, every yeah. single track, a fullness. There's some sort of I couldn't put I didn't know if there's some subtle ass synth or something right. or maybe it was just mixed that well that mm-hmm. the harmonics of, of of everything just made everything sound so beautiful and glistens. Yeah, but. Th- throughout the entire album, mm. I, that was a that was a theme. Which is, this is not just a rock band. Yeah, this is more than a rock band. Well, it's interesting you say that because those textures, um, in between the previous album Woodface and this album, they um, they actually brought on a designated keyboard player. Um, okay. Now he plays. He's a kick-ass guitar player as well. Is an American guy actually called Mark Hart. Um, Mark Hart is like this musical savant. He's like the Bill Vivino of Crowded House. And uh, he did... Um, he he was the, It was the first time that they actually had a guy that was a really good keyboard player playing that wasn't Eddie Rayner. Now, Eddie Rayner was the guy who would session. He was like a session musician on their previous albums. And his keyboard parts were very almost jazzy but he used a lot of like you know that like chorusy honky tonk piano sound he used a lot of that and it was like it was good but it was like it was a little weird Mark Hart different type of keyboard player very texture very chords pads Pads, pianos things like that that's the word I was looking for so I think the combination of where they were the the environment they were in the producer and then this introduction of this you know very uh, texturally influenced keyboard player um like if you listen to Woodface and then listen to Together Alone, you can really tell. And Mark Hart was actually on a couple of tracks on Woodface, and you can hear what tracks he's on because it's <clears throat> it sounds like Together Alone. Um, but so those things, that's what that's what you're talking about—a very um, reverb laden guitars. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, the, the vo- reverb, yeah, so good. It's it's really good, and I mean, like think about it. All of that was gotten recorded in some guy's house some, I like, love that I yeah. fucking love that yeah it's not a treated environment we were talking before we were recording and you were saying you mm-hmm. you had said that it's essentially you want to be that guy you yeah. said you you want a studio in your house that mm-hmm. you know people like will want to go to because of 
the sound that you can produce mm-hmm. and fast and you have it dialed yeah. in and and uh and obviously you you the main thing you want and I want it too of course is just to make just to the be part of just be part of that process of making great music like yeah. pr- like proud of music absolutely yeah. fuck yeah man like good sounding music and like working with good writers is like yeah. you know, what more could you want um so yeah so like so that's what you're hearing when you well like it's a great point that you made like there's something going on in this record that's you can't quite put your finger on that's what it is it's this okay and you're also because i had the exact same feeling when i when i listened to the whole album for the first time when i was like 17 or something 16 and um you're hearing the place as well in all of the songs you're hearing the the, where they are which is and that's why i chose this record because it's yes it's great music yes the songwriting is fantastic and the musicianship is great but it's it's one of those records that you're like you're almost transported to where they are oh man you know it's and so that's cool. that to me is like is like really cool and just the the name of the record together alone you know it's like a complete it's 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 a paradox you know yeah but if you were like well, together alone what a weird name for an album you can't be together and alone and then you get oh we get it you know you're Dude. just they were like on the edge of the world where they were recording yeah this man crazy. Th- that uh that that concept of paradox or opposites mm-hmm. like i think the next song highlights that because in 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 my command like there's mm-hmm. so much cool dissonance with yeah. some of the parts and then that when it hits that chorus <sighs> melody oh, harmony the, the melody the harmonies yeah, yeah. It, it it it's like it bright it's like it brightened it, it was like the sun came out yeah it, when that chorus hits that's that's a that's that's actually a phrase that um that uh a lot of people use when they describe neil finn's song and it's like the sun coming out like uh, on wow. my previous album follow your feet and actually he was part of a project he spearland project called seven worlds collide uh and the name of their second record is the sun came out um, wow because it's been used so many times to describe him but that's what it's like because so in my command track too it's got this very um, it's got this very kind of dissonant guitar part, like descending guitar part in the verses, and then um, I'm trying to remember what the transition to the chorus. You know so well, and I would love to trouble you in your time. And there's all these harmonies going on behind oh, yeah. it. So nice. Um, and then so it's it's really good. Uh, and then it goes into this like second verse which again back to the dissonance and then like this really kind of stomping bridge and like you're talking about the sun coming out that last chorus is like a fucking supernova (laughs) because like you have all of the elements of the previous chorus and then there's this uh they had this like maori male choir sing underneath all that doing this yes. ah this ascending line yeah which is like the opposite of the the other line mm-hmm. and the, the verse is all descending stuff mm-hmm. and then they have this like and then they do it like four times around and then they just hold this high note at the end of it and it's like it's like being at church it's like being at a gospel church where everyone's yeah. just like like that it's yeah. like it's like a celebration it's uh 
but weirdly dichotomic as well because the song is I mean in my command it's about control it's about you know it's crazy it's just the, what they were able to do with you know it's like the complexity of it yes is is, is crazy it's, it's I really like, crazy but you know what you know what is complexity but execution mm. the execution makes makes it seem it's like it's not it's, it was easy to listen to it's not complex to listen to yeah but it is complex but the execution is so makes it mm. so n- perfect I mean even from the even from the introduction because Carrick Hare is quite a f- gentle um like there's volume control there's restraint you know mm-hmm. in that first sound there's re- there's a lot of restraint and then I mean the intro to in my command is you know it's very bombastic and you know that's that's great because it shows maturity as an artist when you can like like a lot of people would be like you know a lot of the guys with the cigars and the slick back ponytail would be like hey put put in my command first it's louder you know but no they didn't they were like like even the name of the first tune and this is why i love this album so much hey you know what in my command is the first song but track number one is a postcard of where we are yes you know, uh, and it's very clever, very smart. You yeah. Know? Oh my god. Contrasting, but super, super clever. You know, really good. You know, in my command is a, like a killer song live. I've played it live a few times. I have. It's really great. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. Nails in my feet is is yeah. next, dude. I love the brushes on the snare sound. The uh, it, it, in fact, it was so punchy, uh, and but beyond the drummer shit of punchy and mm. the tuning of the dr- it just fit it was perfect for the song mm-hmm. so yeah. I didn't even think about it was a brush until yeah. you know until like oh what's the drummer doing because hmm. there's so much mm-hmm. to listen to so the drums are pretty much almost the last last thing I was really focusing mm-hmm. on and the drums by the way are great yeah the 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 drum sounds in this whole album are amazing, mm. and like that perfect early '90s kind of live room drum sound. Um, yeah. But um. Uh and oh and by the way, one thing about this song, and I noticed this as a somewhat of a repeated thing, was at the end of some of these songs, for some reason the bass line was just, it just got cooler. Yeah, yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. So, uh, um, Nails in My Feet is that one that goes... Yeah, something that. So, the bass player and drummer, and it's it's, in, it's a really good song to talk about um, the rhythm section of this band because they were... Like, anytime you look up either of them individually mm-hmm. on the internet uh, for opinions... Or, or as a collective rhythm section, like it's the one word that you see all underrated, 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 underrated. Oh, sure. Super underrated rhythm section. Uh, Paul Hester, he never really did anything super complicated drum wise. Um, when he was, when he he played a lot with with um, with brushes, um, and he played he played mostly with sticks, but he played a lot with brushes as well. Uh, his stick playing is very like appropriate 
Oh yeah, um, like pocket, good good pocket player. Good yeah, pocket. real tasteful. Yeah, um, but his brushes, like the way he used to like he used to like stir the stir the snare with the brush. Yes, and then you know, so he's basically stirring instead of using the hat, and then his left foot is use is like hitting some hat notes. Yep, but he's like stirring the snare and he's like hitting and he's like to watch him do it. To, like to watch the intensity on his face as he's doing it, he's like so concentrated. Um, it was really good, and he uses like brushes, brushes, like hair brushes. He uses like because you can get them with like steel rods as well. Wait, what? Yeah, he used like the fabric brushes, like they're like it's like it's almost like a horse hair brush. It's like what's a, his it's name? Like almost Take like a, Paul Hester. Paul like you know, not a hairbrush you brush your hair with, like a brush that's actually a brush. Like so, you can get. There's two types of brush sticks, right? There's the ones with the the steel, and then there's ones with like actual, like a brush. It's almost like a, the same material that would be on a, you know. Did oh okay. Wait, Paul Hester's the drummer. Paul Hester is the drummer. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Did he pass? He's he yeah he committed suicide yeah very oh, for sad. Real? Uh, I want to say like early 2000s, maybe 2006, Jesus Christ. 6, 2003 maybe, I don't know. Yeah, he had some he had some actually during this time, he had some like really big issues, you know, uh personal life issues. He was one really? of these, he was almost like a Robin Williams type character. Very funny, but like the kind of the kind of sad clown, I guess. I see. Kind okay. of, yeah. He had a lot of like mental health issues, but yeah, he committed suicide. He hung himself um, in Melbourne uh, 10, 10 or 15 years ago, but wonderful, wonderful drummer. Super appropriate. Got a really good drum sound. Like even listening to their live stuff, his drum sound was always, like his drums were always, and I know this might sound like a dumb thing, but it's a, it's an art. His drums were always really well tuned. Oh you yeah, know, like he like he's his sound was really good. You know, everything sounds great. Everything yeah. drum sounds fantastic. It it, it 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 does. I mean the percussion as well. He does a the lot percussion. of like hand percussion stuff. And did he um, play that hand percussion? Do you think uh, some of it he did? The 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 more um, so on on two songs on Private Universe and on uh, Together Alone the the closing track. Um, they used uh, Tablo, log, drum, right. the, uh, log drummers, Maori log drummers. Oh, not um, tablo. Uh, there was some. There was some different types of drums there, but so on. In together, alone, there's a there's a, a tabla, like a talking drum. But then oh, uh, from the from the the from the change from to in in private universe, sorry, from the change onwards, it's log drums. So oh, okay. there are these like these like uh, uh, hollowed out logs that uh, Maori is used for drumming and they sound incredible There's, I mean yeah, those are that's an amazing yeah. instrument if you if you listen to Private Universe uh, on a good set of headphones it's just like like yeah. just the sound of the drums but uh, and then Dude, the I other part I listened to On These Speakers by the way I just sat here and oh yeah that was great that was great yeah Loved it's it. a beautiful album um, and then the other part of the rhythm section Nick Seymour um like again super underrated like got became a very good bass player as his career progressed um but like again very he was very much into like albums like uh, artists like the beatles and the kinks and um, mm-hmm. so he was like into that vintage bass sound super appropriate 
um, but very kind of busy and, and yeah, in like, a good way in a, in a good, good way, way. Yeah. yeah yeah always played a bass line always came up with something that added to the song added yep you know like going back to track one like really appropriate bass but not just like hey just play the root notes he he came up with his parts and he wrote his parts and uh you know in my i'm just looking through the album here carry carry great bass line in my command great bass line nails great, in yeah. my feet nails in my feet i believe he, that's quite a restrained bass line until well, the I, end i put like in caps love the bass line in nails yeah. in my feet yeah Nails or at, my feet at the is, end of the tune, I guess, is what I mean. Yeah, when it kind of... So that thing, when I was talking about the producer early sure. on, and he would, be, he would be like, yeah, just keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. That was the result of that. Those little jams, they had like... There's a couple of songs that have these jams. They, particularly Nails in My Feet and Catherine Wheel. They have okay. like these jams, the like the songs extend and there's no real ending to it. Sure. It's like, uh, it just kind of fades out. And fades it's beautiful. Out. yep. Yeah. And they're it's very expressive you know um so yeah um nails in my feet a they it's got a really nice accordion part which i <laughs> you know it's not an a not a, an instrument that i'd usually associate with being cool but like just the it's a very nails in my feet is a very kind of it's almost like you're sitting in a living room and there's a fire blazing and it's like a very sure. cozy cozy kind of sound and like those opening lyrics, the odd times we slept, slither down the dark path. I mean, <laughs> Jesus, uh, it's just like, like just my, 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 my hair is standing up on my skin right now. Just thinking about the, that lyric, the odd time we slept, slither, slither down the dark path. Just, you know, very good turn of phrase, you know, oh, really yeah. good, you know, really good. There's a lot of accordion on this record. There is um, a couple other songs see. had it. Um, walking on the spot. Wait, wait. Is it waiting on the spot or walking? Oh, you know what? You know what? I'm. I have these songs backwards. Nails in my feet is a different song. Nails in my feet is the one. And walking on the spot is the spot. The song that I'm thinking of right now. Nails oh, on my feet oh, is I a see, different okay. song. Because when you said the accordion, I was like, "Wait, yeah, yeah." That's that that's later on. That's walking. On. I, 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 my entire life, I've gotten those two songs the other way around. Okay, so this has uh, like a like a, this song had like a, remind me of the Beatles. If yeah. the Beatles and Peter Frampton. Yeah, kind of. it's it's got a groove. It's the bass groove's really good. Now that I'm talking about the correct song, <laughs> um, my life is a house. Climb through the window, slip across the floor and into the reception room. Yeah, it's really really good. S there's like slide guitar, I think. Uh, yeah, there's a, a accordion. The, the mm -hmm. harmonies are so good. On uh, this. And the chorus, yeah, beautiful. Um, and the song lyrically, the song is like he's talking about. Um, you know like the opening line my life is a house I climb to the window slip across the floor and into the reception room I mean Neil Finn you bad motherfucker <laughs> it's just like you know every every time you yeah. like read one of his lyrics off you know uh, incredible um, and again s very similar thing within my command uh, not as much of a dissonant verse here 
um, a groove dun, mm-hmm. dun, 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 and, and the brushes as well going on um, and then that chorus with the piano and the vocals is just like so nice it's again it's like the sun coming out it's like and, and mor- the song like is morning. short and sweet mm-hmm. yep it's the perfect song yeah very short very sweet and then this is the one where uh, I'm just trying to think of the ending of this one yeah yeah it's it's got a very cool cool kind of jam at the end of it mm-hmm. you know it's very cool nails in my feet thanks for thanks for pointing out that there was no accordion or that the accordion was different in the song because I was like hang on a minute I'm talking about walking on the spot which I, is I, track I, 9 I, the like, only reason why that stuck out to me yeah. is uh it's because I noticed the accordion later mm. on in the last half of the album. Yes. And yeah, I remember it being was... like a thing of, oh, they're throwing in the accordion too. Cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, yeah. You know when you can use that instrument tastefully I in, in like a, you know, in a modern music type of sense, like I respect that. That's hard to yeah, do. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I remember Counting Crows did a really good job of getting like a lot of good accordion on their oh, yeah? earlier stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that's Nails in My Feet. Great tune. Um, and obviously, like, uh, Neil and Tim Finn, uh, who were brothers, they were raised in, in um, Te Awamutu in, in New Zealand, and they were brought up in a very Catholic household. So Nails in My Feet is like uh, the the song title is el- elusive of that, you know. It's it's alluding to, to that Catholicism and, you know, the stigmata okay. and things like that. Um and the interesting thing about nails in my feet is there's a there's something happens in the third verse, the final verse of the song. That this there's this string part comes in that creates like so much tension. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, the lights went on and everybody screamed surprise. That verse, um, yeah. The savagery grew. It left me gasping. But it warms my heart to see that you can do it too. It's like wow, really, really nicely poetic. But like, there's a there's a, a tension there as well. You know, very cool, very cool writing. You know, awesome. Um, yeah, black and white boys. Ever says is that black and white? Black and white boy is there? Uh, I when I listen to this record, it's. It would probably be uh, between Black and White Boy and uh, Skin Feeling for my least favorite songs on the record. Um, uh, this, these, those two songs would be songs that would have been really influenced by youth. Um, kind okay. of a heavier, heavier sound. Yeah. You know? uh, almost like U2. Yeah, because I was going to say like the, uh, the great, great use of re- reverb and delay on that lead guitar yeah really good and then it blended it's cool it blended with like a distorted rhythm guitar as well yeah. so they were they were very opposite but the, it made the song very cool uh, yeah and I love that the snare drum by the way the backbeat snares yeah. off snares off snares off on the, oh snares off on that one yeah and it's the same beat throughout like there's in fact it's almost like they showed up to record and they forgot the cymbals yeah you know what I mean you know what I want to go out on a limb and say something here so at some stage of at one stage of the recording of this album Paul Hester left I think Neil Finn played drums on Black and White Boy oh there you go 
Okay. I, I, and because there's there is a there is a difference to the way that the drums are hit on that song, and okay. I I I I want to say now I would need to fact check this, but I want to say that Neil Finn played the drums on Black and White Boy. Okay. Because Paul Hester like had to take a break from recording after a few months, and uh, he wasn't there. Um, I might be completely wrong about that, but. I want to say no, that. Could yeah, it could be right. could be right, yeah. Yeah. But again, like, very simple songwriting. Um, not Wow, I'm bummed out, by the way. I'm sorry. I'm bummed out that this guy committed suicide. It's like, yeah. Jesus Christ, the amount of talent. Yeah. Hey, Matt, it was like, tragedy, he, he, he just fit that, you know, depressed kind of clown trope just to a T you know he was very funny very charismatic in person um, but just had a lot going on there man a lot you know Um, yeah he 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 left the band on a few occasions he was quite you know unpredictable okay and eventually he left the band and was actually hired back as a session musician um, for 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 the very so they recorded this record they did a tour okay um and and something very interesting happened with crowded house they had that huge hit with um don't dream it's over they had a few mm-hmm. like decent songs in their second record they released uh, uh the first single they released from woodface the album pre uh um before together alone was a song called chocolate cake Okay. And it was it ruined their career in America because <laughs> um, it was a very uh, it was a song that was written about greed and gluttony and like bad taste and things like that. And one of the lyrics on it was, uh, you know, the excess of fat on your American bones will cushion <laughs> will cushion the impact as you sink like a stone. Um, so they were like. This was the first fucking uh, single they they released from that record, and it basically like yeah, you know, you you that's not something that yeah no. So wait, this came out. Sing. This is an earlier one, right? That was in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, so okay. they kind of they they toured that album, but not a whole lot. They did mostly Europe, um, and weirdly they were supported by Cheryl Crow. Um, okay, on. Th- either that tour or the tour after together alone and they in the united states they had this weird thing where um cheryl crow went on first uh and they went on second and cheryl crow was higher in the charts outselling them and also people were leaving after cheryl crow like the arenas like like you know, if it was like a five seater, five thousand seater arena, like two thousand people were leaving after Cheryl Crow because they were there to see her. Okay, you know, um, so like a very weird kind of you know trajectory, and I think that that took its toll on, like Paul Hester was a very, I, I want to say like with as much respect in the world, like he was very fragile, you know. Sure. Um, and that probably I think, and they were playing in Atlanta. And uh, there was an altercation before the gig, and he was just like, "I'm out of here. I'm going back to Australia." They had made their money, you know. They all made a ton of money from "Don't Dream It's Over" and all that. So, sure, sure. Um, you know, but tough. I mean, I remember reading when when he died. I was like, 
this was a this was a band and a group of artists and musicians that were massively influential to me. I listened I've listened to this band's music more than any other band. Wow. Um and uh yeah, it was it was tough like hearing that he had died. It was it was really tough, you know. But you can hear it in his you can hear it on this record a little bit that it's a beautiful record but things aren't okay, you know. Um, and he, and he's now how much of the songwriting other than drums did he contribute? Uh he usually had for for this album and the and Woodface he had one song on each album. Um so on this so Skin Feeling the track 10 I believe. The last uh, no, track was his? No, track 12. Oh no, I'm sorry. Track tra- sorry, the track 12. Yeah. Second to last one I guess. Skin Feeling was that was his song. He That was the one. Yeah. Oh I'm yeah, so he had that. I'm feeling, yeah. Interesting. He had so okay. This makes sense. He because the dr- the drums, the drums were fucking eighties almost yeah. right. And, Definitely. But the it's funny. It's like the drums were in the eighties, but the guitar and the bass were were very much nineties uh, mm-hmm. production style. Yeah, very nineties, um, kind of chugging. Dun, 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 dun. Kind of U two ish again. Yes. Um, yes. Melodically very good, you know. And that that lyric, I'm looking old, I'm feeling young. It's the truth, my child. My second life has just begun. Yeah, it's it's really good lyrically. I mean, this is a this is a guy who was very much the secondary songwriter like you have 13 tunes on this record yeah 12 of them were completely written by neil finn but then you have this other guy who's like you know deep and and kind of sensitive and did he sing lyrically he sang skin feeling too yeah yeah wow yeah um you know usually a lot of his songwriting was almost comic okay um but this one was like a serious tune that he wrote for this record. It's very okay. good. I like Skin Feeling a lot, actually. I think it's I think it's actually a good song. Yeah, it has that uh, mysterious ways feel. Very U two kind of yeah, yeah yeah. I think I think um, Acting Baby had just come out before they released this, so it was like they, I think U two were a really big influence on them and Pearl Jam as well. Um, they were actually. I think Eddie Vedder was present for some of this recording. Um, I don't know if he sang on any of it, but oh, really? Yeah, they were very in- influenced by Pearl Jam too. Yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They, like they kind of, I guess they were buds. They were like, I know they used to surf together. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty mad. But you know, but yeah, like Hester was, he was an artist, man. He, he was. Uh, he was a great drummer, good songwriter. He was addicted to television. Addicted? He was addicted to television, yeah. He had he was a telly addict. Um that's what they used to say. Yeah, I'm a telly addict. Um <laughs> in fact they had a song called My Telly's Gone Bung, which didn't make it onto the record, but okay. it's a song about his uh television breaking. But yeah, he was a like, television like addict. Like how does that what does that mean an addict? What does that look like? He was just would just sit and watch TV for days, days and days. Just keep watching. Keep watching, yeah. Wow. Just whatever was on. He didn't care. Just he was a television addict. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
and uh, and and really weirdly he ended up with his own tv show <laughs> he did Hesse's, yeah hesse's shed uh, after he left crowded house he had a tv show called hesse's shed which was like a talk show wow like a late night with conan o'brien type thing or whatever sure yeah that type of thing just in australia called hesse's shed and, yeah and actually crowded house came and played on it because <laughs> they remained oh, very they? good friends even after he left the band yeah uh, it's different vibe in that part of the world, you know. You like, I'm leaving the band. Okay, want to go get a cup of coffee? <laughs> you know what I mean, type of thing. Oh, dude, so, all these episodes, these episodes are all on YouTube. Hesse you shit. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, kind of a mad, mad fucker, but you know, really, really super talented. Yeah, yeah, cool. And you can hear it in his playing, and and especially, I think this record is the best representation of his playing. You know. The, the percussion towards the end of this song was just or this album mm-hmm. you know they that it makes sense the producer because it really was just like no 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 go crazy go nuts because that's yeah that's what it seemed like happened uh yeah let's just add more fuck it let's just add more um, yeah i mean look ta- everything tasteful everything tasteful yeah because you, know? you got good musicians playing and people who are in an environment where they're comfortable and they're not watching the clock and mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of value to that you know like you were saying earlier on that's why i would rather have good mics and good equipment in my own studio because i mean i've paid ten thousand dollars for six days in a studio and it's mm. fucking pointless still only get eight hours a day and then as soon as the engineer's done you're done you know um so yeah it's the sound of people just playing in a room and somebody just incidentally put some mics in there and recorded it which is great yep. that's what a an album should sound like but um like what i like about the the drumming on this record is he he gets to use he uses the brushes a lot more i'm just thinking about so um i want to say nails in my feet mm-hmm. um pineapple head pineapple head definitely yep walking on the spot which by the way snares off pineapple head with brush is that is its own yeah. sound and yes. it's it's it has somewhat of like mm-hmm. a somewhat of like a um hand drum feel it, to it it always reminded me of a very very small a very flat tom sound yeah, exactly like a frame drum yeah yeah mm-hmm. yep definitely um so let me see here just counting them out because i know that in his previous record i mean there was no brushes on um, the first album, and then there was one song with brushes on the second. Don't know about. Did the third. anybody use a single brush in the eighties? Uh, like a like a, a stick and a brush. I'm saying in the eighties. Did anybody, did anybody use, ever ever use ever no. use a brush? <laughs> no, no, and no, never, <laughs> never. I guess it was just it was like a thing. I mean, they had a song on their second record called Sister Madly, which is it's like a swing song. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. But beautiful brush player, but he uses it five times. Yeah, he, he uses it, brushes five times. I love it. I I think it's great. I don't. I don't. Dude, I hate. I almost hate brushes because, and not in the sense of I don't. I like the sound or. I. It's a challenge for me. It's a hurdle. It's always been a hurdle. It's like it's a thing. I I feel like I. Oh, I just can't. Get the sound it's, that I want. So you're always. I'm, I feel like I'm always making do with it's, whatever it's, comes out yeah you know? it's a discipline it's a, def- a definitely, definitely a different is. definitely a different discipline but um i mean when you think about it like versus um i believe bleach 
Nirvana's Bleach came out in '93. Sure. I want to sure. say. Uh, oh no, no, uh, no, no. Um, in, in Utero, '93. Never mind, it was '91, right? '91. Bleach was. Sorry, give me a sec here. I think Nirvana released a record in '93 or '94. Uh, in Utero was the last one. So, but mm. Bleach came out in '89. Yeah, that was the yeah that was before Nevermind, right? So like these heavy albums, like I think Soundgarden had a record out, mm-hmm. uh, REM, mm-hmm. um, you know, oh, these were the big bands in the world at the time. Nobody was using brushes percussively. Nobody was using brushes. Brushes yeah. were, brushes were for jazz swing, and that's it. Yep. You know, and here's this guy. You know, very cleverly and very appropriately using brushes on pop music, which is you know. And you know what's interesting is you think back then, because apparently this was a thing that in the, I guess, with late '80s, early '90s, once that once they. Once it de- they departed from that '80s snare drum, yeah, sound, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like over the top kind of reverby, mm-hmm. um, and they got a real snare drum sound. Mm-hmm. That you know, like I said before, that never mind snare drum sound, right? Mm-hmm. That was what they would spend hours trying to dial in the, that sound. Hours, Crazy. like sometimes days. Mm-hmm. moving this fucking drum set in the mics fucking yeah. trying a different drum you know and yeah, yeah. and it's funny it's like i wonder if because it, it sounds it sounds like on this record that they started from a place of serve the soul mm-hmm. and then with in the same vein of serving the song by the by almost as if that were a law that you mm. can't, we can't record anything if it doesn't serve the song. They were able to add so much sonic texture uh, and character to it, but through that one law of, is it served the song? So I mm. wonder if the 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 brush choice was just very simple. Like, no, this is what this song needs. So they yeah. probably s- saved so much time. Yeah. As far as trying to dial in a snare dr- that '90s snare drum sound, because you kind of hear it on this record, mm-hmm. you know, you hear yeah. that snare drum sound, that live yeah. snare sound. So yeah, I mean, it's very well engineered, and it's very, you know, it's very, it's very powerful. Like the drum sound powerful. when when he's using sticks and when he's when he's doing a beat and when he's in the pocket, it's very, mm-hmm. you know, just thinking like. Uh, Locked out. That's a very mm-hmm. powerful drum sound, and uh, you know, Distant Sun again. Distant Sun's just a yep. straight-ahead acoustic pop sound. Um, you know, very tight, powerful drum sounds. Really good. Distant yeah. Sun. Yeah, that's the one, dude. There yeah. was strings and mandolin and accordion on that one, man. That was so yeah. cool, dude. The I always loved the acoustic and the lead blend. They did that. They did on the last couple songs. It was yeah. so so nice. Yeah, kind of it like there's like a there's like a four song run in the middle there. Private Universe, Walking on the Spot, Distant Sun, mm-hmm. and Catherine Wheels, where it's that that's their wheelhouse. They're in their wheelhouse right there. Acoustic based, like Private Universe, slightly different because it's a more of a darker, you know. Yeah. Um, but just the layering, like Private Universe, the layering of the 
you know the instruments and the 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 development of the song throughout it just starts with like this picked acoustic you know and then this like strummed acoustic comes in and there's no and, real bass on it yep. it's just a pad and and then these like drums come in at these um Maori drums, drums come right. in at the end yeah and and also like tom's like he's playing like I think Hester did a lot of tom work on that. Yeah, particular Dude, song at the end of the towards the end of the song to it. The way that song ends, there are these like atmospheric nature call sounds, and it sounded like the guitar, the guitarist was doing that with with effects pedals. It was well, so here's cool. here's what they did. Um, so there's a guitar part in that song. It's the guitar part, the distorted guitar part in the chorus. Mm-hmm. And I will run for shit those chords, and then it slides up at the end. So what they did is to get that sound, they actually had a mic. They were in this valley, and they had a radio mic set up across the other side of the valley. And the house that they were recording in, they could actually the way that the the house was facing into the valley, okay, out towards the sea, but the whole window came out. Oh wow of the house so what they did is they set the guitar amp up turned it up really loud and then Mark Hart was the player on that track and he would just play the guitar chords and it was this like delay reverb oh, caused shit. by the and that's how they captured that sound get the so fuck if you out go, for real if you go back and, yeah if you go back and listen to it oh, they basically had they one of the engineers went across to the other side of the valley with a radio mic with a long you know long obviously a uh, good pickup on the radio mic between sure. the transmitter and the receiver and then he just held it there and they would just record and he picked it up and it just recorded it looped itself back into the um the board and just had this it's basically the sound of that guitar being played inside in this valley that's fucking brilliant that's fucking brilliant right brilliant dude yeah wow. and it, it's because you're like going shit how do they get that sound and that's what it is because it's it's almost like slightly out of time as well yeah and that's what it is it's you know it's very unique I, I that's why I couldn't place mm-hmm. what exactly it was but you know it was guitar yeah uh wow man that is fucking cool dude it's cool right it's very cool yeah so you know but the 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 entire like again one of the reasons why I chose this album the entire story of it like like they were recording in this house but they had rented other people's houses around the valley to okay. live in and sure. uh and eventually it got to the stage where it was there was like 10 or 15 houses that like the engineer was living in this one and neil finn was living in this one and nick was in you know and eventually it just got to the stage where for the recording of the last song together alone they actually just had a barbecue they invited the entire community and they just like went out on the lawn and everyone sat on the lawn and they just brought all of the cables out and they just sat around this like fire and uh there was a brass band it's brass like, I was gonna say it was brass. a brass band yep and so the brass band were over here and the log drummers were here yeah and you know so much percussion um, yeah and people there was just people you can hear people in the background like talking and you can hear the crackling of the fire and uh in fact <laughs> one of the uh one of the people the non-Maori people mistook mistook one of the log drums for a piece of firewood and threw it into the fire and they had to like get the fire cuz these these log drums are blessed by the you uh, know by the the Maori uh you know religious leaders so okay. <laughs> they were, like we nearly angered the gods um but uh <laughs> 
but that that like that closing song on the record together alone is just about 50 people just singing and playing out on the lawn just in this valley overlooking this just the edge of the world like you saw the sea and that's it that's that's so fucking cool man you know there's there's something about um about like so i listened to this album last night Mm. it was i loved it like straight through i just sat, Mm -hmm. dude i just sat right here Mm -hmm. loved it right on these speakers and then I'm thinking about how all of these details you're filling in, mm. right? Would it have been a better experience if I knew it before listening, right? Mm. Or is it just, is this the actual reason why you should listen to a, an album without the information for just pure interpretation? And then if you're really invested and inspired, learning about it because then you just rediscover why you love it more why you like it more why it's more special yeah i mean i think i think it's better to to listen to it initially the way that you listen to it because you you can form your own judgment on it your own opinion on it because you can purely hear the music for the music but then like when you go back and listen to it with all the other information it actually just gives it a different you know for sure uh, different kind of atmosphere it gives it a different uh, feel you know like one of my favorite ways to listen to this record is you know with the all the lights out and the windows open so you get a bit of a breeze and you're listening to it and it's dark and your senses are heightened and it's a wonderful album to listen to at night you know it's, yeah uh, I remember listening to this album I was driving um, in Ireland actually in the middle of the night I was driving back from my sister's house in Ireland back up to Cork City and I had this on and it was just like Ireland rural Ireland is like it's fucking pitch black it's like nothing oh wow you know and just like listening to like Fingers of Love like track five oh, which yeah. is very you know very vibey uh, the drum sound now it's actually the so they fed the auxiliary so the the, the reverb there's no actual drum take on there it's just the reverb from the drums that they put on there i was gonna say it sounded uh sampled yes it sounds sampled what it is is it's you know the way when you if you have like reverb on a drum you're 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 using it through like an auxiliary or an insert and then you turn the instrument down but you turn the auxiliary up you just sure. hear the reverb that's sure. kind of it's about 20 percent of the mic sound and then about 80 percent of just the reverb which is why it that's sounds great that's yeah it so sounds cool. very big yeah um, and I believe again need to be fact checked on this I believe Neil Finn played drums on Fingers of Love too okay um, I believe that that was one that he played drums on um, but great bass line man. great bass line yeah. yeah that was probably really the song that might have been one of those I remember like one of these songs I remember going I get Paul now yeah like I, I, I hear you I, I would I would say that Nick Seymour from my playing as much yeah. as I'd love to say Tony Levin and Pino Palladino I play most like this bass player Nick yeah. Seymour I've, that's for, for he's sure. the guy that influenced me most yeah yeah without crazy, a doubt man. without mm-hmm. a doubt I, I I said that immediately I was like oh there's yeah. Paul there's Paul there's that's where he gets it <laughs> that's awesome man I like that yeah oh, that's yeah. awesome dude pretty good I mean pretty good uh 
pretty good bass player to be influenced fuck by. Yeah, you know? Fuck yeah, man. Fuck yeah, because I like that it's there's independent choices being made mm. there that yeah. are for meaning like it's somebody wanted to play that. Yeah. But they made it fit the song. And that's what's most important, of course. It's all tasteful. I it's and you character. know what I what I think I like at the time when I was when I was almost studying these bass lines, like basically by learning them. I learned all of these bass lines. Oh you did? Wow. And then I and then I built my style of playing around that. Wow. Um and I think what I liked about it is there's a sense of freedom to okay. the bass playing in in all of Crowded. I mean maybe not on their first record, but okay. from everything on. Like there's definitely a sense of freedom to the bass playing in there and I like that. I was never yeah. and it's not it's not from a place of ego. It's not like I want to do what I want on a record. It's just you know, if you're if you're a musician and you're in a band and you're on a record or you're asked to do a record, you're being asked or you're there for a reason, you know? Sure. And um you know, I remember we spoke last week about my like worst experience in a studio <laughs> is because that was taken away. Like what what Nick oh, Seymour sure. what Nick Seymour had on this record that sure. was taken away from me. That's yeah. how I wanted to record. Yeah. You know? Um let me let me let me give you my interpretation of the song communicated yes. through my, my instrument. Um and that's what I that's what I like about this band. That's one of the things I like about this band. That's probably why you know he, he would like Nick Seymour would definitely be my probably my my biggest influence as a bass player you know wow man mm. so it's so cool it was so cool to to also sort of like I love the 90s man so I kind of felt like mm. oh, I'm getting a little taste here yeah I love it uh, it's a little great. bit of nostalgia you know it's a yeah. little bit you know a kind of it's nostalgic in a number of ways. It was, you know, they did reform in the two thousands okay. um, after Paul Hester's death, but it was it was the sound of a band playing their last album. Like I think I think when when they recorded this album, I think during the recording of this album, I think Neil Finn knew that he was going to be they weren't going to be doing another record anytime okay. soon. They after this, they did record three songs. Okay. that were released as singles in like 1997 or something but okay um i think they i think he kind of knew he kind of knew okay. this was going to be the last time and you know um, it's like uh like track 13 together alone it's like remember that song by the beatles the end and in the end yes it's like the last song on their you know one of their records and yeah. it like really like it's almost like they knew this is you know like that if you were to listen to together alone you were gonna go this is the last time this band this is the last song this band recorded together you'd be like yeah okay i get it wow yeah. man it's yeah. powerful yeah um you know and and i guess it's a yeah wow it's so it's such a bummer that that he killed himself, man. That's yeah. that's such a that always hits me. Stuff like that hits me because because he had yeah. I read about it just as you, we were speaking yeah about it. Uh, he had he had kids, you know. And I he think about kids, yeah. mm-hmm. fucking Chester from Lincoln Park, and mm-hmm. I, I think I'm pretty sure Chris Cornell had kids too. From you know yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. Like I, I that's I. That's hard. It's hard for me to. I'm I'm a sensitive type too. I think sure, and, and uh, so that's why. 
when when suicides like that happen, like Anthony Bourdain is another one, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, you, you think like, man, you guys have had such great experiences, mm. you know, and like that's I want to be. I look at where you are or mm-hmm. have been and go, I would love to be in my version of that there where I yeah. do what I do and it's it's desired, it's sought after. I do it with, I collaborate. Mm-hmm. And you think like, wow, that wasn't like, not that that should be everything. Of course, that's not everything, but, but you, you know what I mean? It's kind of, it's, uh, it's, it's, it actually makes it scarier. Yeah, in, I mean, in, in I, a sense, I think there's also an element of, especially with with Paul Hester's death. There's an element of, um, always, always felt, always got the impression that he regretted his his actions when he when he left the band. You know, okay, I I, I kind of felt like they were. You know, if you watch any footage of them, they were very close. They were like friends before they were in a band, you know? Sure, okay. Um, and actually, Neil Finn and, and Paul Hester had played in a band previous, a very famous New Zealand band called Split Ends. They had played in that band, yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I always got the feeling just that, you know, he just kind of regretted the way that things went down maybe or there was something unsaid you know something you know but I mean if you get the opportunity um, Anthony and people listening uh, obviously listen to, to Together Alone I think it's a seminal Crowd House record but if you get the opportunity it might be on YouTube um, go and watch the Farewell to the World concert so in 1996, I believe they Neil Finn broke the band up. Basically, he said, "I'm going to go solo, and I'm not going to do Crowded House anymore." And they played their final gig um, on the steps of the Sydney Opera House to 300,000 people, and uh, ah. it's a yeah, it's a very moving, moving concert. Just the the mix, the 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 variance of emotions, and and it's crazy because like. They start the concert and it's like, you know, they're having a really good time. And then you can tell like they're getting to the end of their set list and the emotions are getting the better of them. And like, you can really tell that they're, you know, they're all like, it's, what are we doing? Like, how, how are we breaking this band up? How yeah, is this, what, you know? Well, I don't understand. Well, that's something I never understand with. I never understand. It must be an artist thing. Mm-hmm. Why fucking? Why would you? Why would you break up a band? Uh, I think you know? it's an artistic decision. You know, I think it's an artistic decision. Why can't you it's... just not make a decision and just mm-hmm. go off and do? Go off and do what you do. Like if if this one's got a solo project, this one's got a side. Just live your fucking lives. It, yeah. Why do you have to break it up? That's I, I never understood that, man. Like Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Radiohead's been radio silent in the last couple yeah. of years, uh, yeah. as far as albums go. They're due for another one. I get the feeling that they're not going to do another one mm-hmm. for a long time, if ever again. Yeah. That's Kinda my. Like Pink, 
you know. Kind of like Pink, Pink Floyd. I mean, yeah. they, they released uh, Momentary Lapse of Reason, I believe, was there before the the um, whatever river, the, the latest one they brought out a few years back, mm-hmm. like 1990-something was yeah. their last album, or even possibly yeah, maybe 1991 but they yeah. didn't break up they just didn't record anymore they just didn't record yeah yeah i get i mean uh, yeah yeah i you're friends I still you know? right you're 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 you have you still have a relationship with each other yeah you know why would you publicly mm-hmm. tell the world that you're breaking like why would you do that to yourself i'm not saying that i'm not saying that it's not a i don't think it's an unhealthy choice completely for a, a group of people to collectively go, hey guys, I think I think we've milked this our sound. I I don't. May, it might be better to just the idea of this this name of a band and what we've already presented for years. Maybe we should mm-hmm. just bring this to a close, right? Sure. But I would certainly turn around after doing that and go, okay, what's our next band name? Mm-hmm. And just completely start. Like, why would I want to play with other, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, I would totally always want to play with other musicians. But why Mm. would I not want to play with this lineup of musicians? Like, just just approach it differently, take some time away from it. You know, uh, I don't know. Just to me, it may, why do that to yourself? Because, and then like, do that to, also, why do that to fans? Yeah. That's I mean, heartbreaking, I, man, to to, yeah. to a fan base. You know, if the Foo Fighters were to break up, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. The last album they put out, I it's very very recent this year. I'm not really yeah. a fan of, to be honest with you. I don't really, I don't really like it that much. But sure, it's not what that's about. I still, I would go see that band live mm-hmm. anytime they're touring. Right, uh, the fact that they are exist as a as an entity is enough for me they don't need yeah. they don't even need to put out an album for me to sure. love them you know what i'm saying so mm. why <laughs> if they were to break up that would that that would be like they're a part of my life you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like parents getting divorced you know yeah in in some sense uh obviously not anywhere close to as bad but uh mm. but you know what i'm saying i don't know it's interesting i don't understand bands that do that I mean, there may have been an element of a business decision to it. Um, okay. Like, they did release... Well, their record company released the greatest hits um, right around the time of their farewell concert. So there may have been a little bit of, you know, gamesmanship there. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, like, they're artists, but Neil Finn was a very smart, smart guy, you know? Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a it's a it's a communication it's like i you know i'm i'm instead of just letting something die on the vine i'm if you break up a band there's this there's kind of an element of mystique about the albums that they never got to record like the beatles the beatles broke up they didn't yeah. just stop they actually broke up yeah. there's always there always has been a mystique to man what would the Beatles have done in the 70s yeah exactly yes you know what if they had just pushed through their differences and just kept on recording music into the 70s and 80s wow what would they have done there's maybe there's there was an an attempt to create a mystique about like if you finish something instead of oh they mustn't have any songs anymore 
Mm. Like how come how come Crowd of House haven't released an album in ten years? They mustn't be mustn't be that good. They can't come up with an album in ten years. Like if you like breaking up an album allows you to almost create a legend in a sure, way. Sure, okay. You know? So let's I say like so. if if the Beatles had not broken up if nobody had known what had happened with the Beatles and they just stopped recording albums, people would have been like, eh, mustn't have been that good. They don't obviously, you know, because the perception is the reason you didn't record an album is because you didn't have any material, you know? Hey, man, I, I, that's, see, but that's number one thing is yeah. I don't give a fuck about, I don't, I don't care about the narrative of the, what the public sees, I guess, if that makes sense. Right. Like when we're in the room together as a band, that's all I care about. In fact, if there is some sort of manager, agent, uh, and then obviously a producer, engineer, anybody extra in the room, in a sense, and I, you know, this might sound shitty, but like that person has just an invitation to be there. And that invitation could go away because they're not in the band. They're, meaning that. When you're creating with people like that, you've you've and and you're you've successfully cr made songs together and put it on an album. You're there's a little bit of a protectiveness, and I you know I've found a it's almost like I've found a uh, uh, um, a chemistry, a very important chemistry with these mm -hmm. groups of musicians. So er, anything outside of them. And their families, I think, like you have to, of course, everybody's family is important too as well. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like they don't, nobody outside, outside of that group matters when it comes down yeah. to it. Uh, the fans uh, matter, <laughs> but not in, in making decisions. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, they, well, I mean, they can, they can know. be, they can be, they can influence decisions, but not directly influence decisions. Yeah, like, like I think so. I, one example would be like I was thinking about it the other day because I was listening to Kid A, and just thinking about wow, they they like you would have thought that the statement of, or I, I maybe not, I don't know the the statement the the idea of Radiohead um, walking away from a sound of they had an album they would put out an album and had a certain sound. And they would just completely walk away from the bends, for instance. Like they mm -hmm. could have milked that sound for another couple of years. Sure. Um, they walked away from it. They did OK Computer, which was like Pink Floyd level type sound. Like, wow, nobody could have ever thought of this type of sound. This yeah. sound didn't exist, right? Now the mm -hmm. fans are like, oh my God, give me more of this, right? And they completely yeah. walked away from that sound and then did Kid A. And there... And it is true that there are people who loved that sound of OK Computer so much, like that almost spoke to them, right? Like they mm. found, oh my God, this is what I've always wanted. And then they never created that sound really ever again. Mm -hmm. That person's legitimately bummed out. That person's yeah. legitimately pissed off, right? Mm -hmm. And they kind of have a right to be in a sense, but at the same time, the point is, is Radiohead said, I don't give a, f we don't care. We don't want to repeat ourselves. That's right. not the goal here. The goal here is to be artists and to uh, to discover a new way of communicating what we feel through music mm -hmm. and how it sounds 
if we're really artists, it's going to sound different. It's a different time. You know, our lives are different. Mm-hmm. You know. So anyway, I, I that's that's my thoughts on like the band and then how they communicate, what they communicate and how they interact with the public. I don't know. Right. It's I mean, I think it's I think it's a, you know, I think it's I think you also have people. It's about people, you know, it's about how people see things and, you know, in the case of Credit House, like as important as Nick Seymour and Paul uh, and Paul Hester were to the to the band from a performance them, it was Neil Finn's thing. He he it was his band. I mean he Okay. You know. It's not like he could have left it, you know what I mean? And sure, okay. he, he wanted I guess he wanted the band to not exist anymore simply because like here's here's probably here's what I think happened. He like a few years after the farewell to the world not not many years after like pretty quickly he released a solo album called uh, try whistling this um which was which was pretty good you know imagine <laughs> so you don't break up your band right you just you just leave your band on like dying on the vine a little bit mm-hmm. and then you know you go and you release your solo album and you spent months recording these songs that are yours it's neil finn sure and you you send the tapes off to be mastered and they're mastered and it's released and then you sit down and you go what do you do when you're releasing a record you got to do some press and you go into the radio station and you sit down and the radio dj says this is a really really good album when are crowded house getting back together like I, sure you know? I, I get that but that's you just don't fuck that yeah. And if you want to say fuck that question, fuck your question in the mm-hmm. moment, say that. Who cares? I because yeah. I I'm not doing, I you know like you don't have to have a good relationship with that radio DJ. You don't. Who cares? Because I yeah. don't know. I, I Phil, dude, uh, Ed O'Brien, Phil Selway, Johnny Greenwood, all members of Radiohead, all have put out solo projects or solo albums in the last five years. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah. So. Um, and have and I know Johnny Greenwood is very heavily into uh, uh, com- composition now as well. He does he so, does a lot of movies as well. Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah. He did. Uh, I think he did the last Daniel Day Lewis movie. He does a lot with uh, Paul Thomas oh, yeah. Anderson. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, he does a lot of that. Yeah. I, I I'm only saying like nobody's, you know, they're not. They seem they don't seem to be concerned uh, with with like oh when when is Radiohead gonna really you know i i I don't know i i don't i don't look at that as like uh uh oh that would be you know what if that happened that would be shitty well i guess i i I don't know you weren't how about this you weren't thinking about radiohead you or you weren't thinking about he wasn't thinking about crowded house when he recorded his solo album yeah i'm saying yeah i mean yeah i mean i guess i i mean I don't know. I can kind of understand. I can understand where it comes from. Like you want to just have it. This is where this ends, and this is where this other thing begins. Some people are just like that, I guess. Maybe, you know. Maybe, um, maybe what it is. You know what it is, dude. Maybe I'm just one of those fucking millennial. Like, I'm. I don't understand. I don't quite understand the context then. Sure. Which is in the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. The public, the the media controlled you. 
meaning how you were thought of. Yeah, because you didn't have a direct yeah. avenue to your audience. Yes. You're, you're, you spoke to your audience through your concerts, your albums, and your press. Yeah, so I guess yeah. the only way you saw what the world thought of you was through a, an article in the newspaper or some news thing. Or whatever. Yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. Anyway, that was a little tangent there. No, this I mean is, it's 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 know. definitely a very it's a it's a very appropriate thing to talk about in the context of the record that we were just talking about because you know just just the last tune on it, the name of the record, uh the way that it was recorded, the isolation, you know. Yeah. I mean you you look up Carry Carry on a map, you know, and you look at how isolated it was and that's that's definitely metaphorical as well as like it's actual they were actually there. They're actually yeah. Yeah, but also there's like a kind of, you know, you 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 got to think like maybe they had to be there. Maybe they knew that they weren't going to get this album done if they were if they had all of their friends around and they were sure. in a city with their with their families. I mean, sure. maybe this the 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 just getting this album done required them being in the middle of fucking nowhere, uh, like hanging off a rock in, in, you know, at the edge of the world, you know, it's, it, it could have been taxing mm-hmm. while, while, you know, while, while beautiful sounds yeah. come out of them, it might be, yeah, I guess it might be taxing to, of an investment of time and energy yeah. to, to do such a thing. Almost feels yeah. like, uh, yeah, you ever like get with, you ever like you have, there's people that you have a chemistry with, Mm-hmm. Even just not even musically, but just talking to you know a conversation, and you you don't ha- you don't have a problem with these people, like yeah, they're your friends, sure. But you wind up in the weeds in conversation where you're yeah. sort of almost almost like you're you're circling debating circling, yeah. and arguing the whole time. <laughs> it's just and you yeah. don't hate it, but by the end of it, you're just exhausted. And you're just yeah. like Jesus Christ! I don't need to see you for another three months. Yeah, and, and I mean, also there was like there's a there's a dynamic in Crowded House, you know, like there's a dynamic. There's not the same dynamic in Radiohead, you know. Sure. I mean, like Radiohead, all like you said, like a lot of the band members released solo records, and you know, a lot a lot of those guys are songwriters in their own right. Like Nick Seymour and Paul and Paul Hester were very much sidemen in this band. You know, there was wow. no thought of a career okay. outside of Crowded House for either of these guys. Now, incidentally, um, the first thing Nick Seymour went and did was produced an Irish band called Bell X One, and did a re- really good job on their first record. And they became quite. Uh, Bell X One was the they used to be called Juniper, which is the band that. Um, Damien Rice started in. Oh wow! Um, yeah. Okay. So, so so Nick Seymour produced them, and um, Paul Hester went on and became a TV host, and he did some music, and I think Paul uh, Nick Seymour had a band called Dead Star as well, um, okay. and they had some a couple of like modest hits in you know, okay, in uh, in Oceana, um, but uh, yeah kind of you know so this was like so the dynamic was very imbalanced there it was like it was like a captain Mm -hmm. and not even not even lieutenants like okay captain 
there was a captain and two cabin boys. Okay. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Almost. So it's like, and sure. that's a very, that's a very definitive uh, relationship right there. And it's very, um, it's very defined. It's it's super defined. So, um, that's tough. That's tough. And I mean, you're almost. I almost felt like I've always felt like Neil Finn did them a favor by breaking up the band. Oh, I see. Okay. Because if the if he didn't, they're just going to sit around waiting for the next Crowder House album to be started. Like, hey, Neil, do you have like thirteen songs we can go in and record? Whereas if you break up yeah. the band, you're like, why don't you go do something else? You know. Um. There, there's a song on. Uh, after they broke up, Crowder House released a, an album of B-sides called Afterglow. And there's a song called Time Immemorial. And it was, you know, the lyrics are really clever in it. Um, the last verse is, uh, the house that we live in is falling apart. There's no guarantee because we got it for free. And all the pretenders to somebody's throne are finally out on their own. And it's like, go, you know, Go see what else you can be, you know. Wow, and they did, and they did. You know, it's like they they went and they did other things, and they became. They would never have had that. I don't feel like they would have had that ambition to go out and do those things if, if they were hanging on to another crowd house album like yeah, Nick Seymour. Nick Seymour created all the artwork for their albums. I mean, he, he? became a, he became an art like an, a visual artist in his really? own right. I mean, he had exhibitions and all the rest of it. Um. Wow. Yeah, I, and I think I feel like if you're in a band and you're like, you're just waiting for your band leader to record a bunch of songs or to write a bunch of songs to record, you're just going to kind of wait around for that. So wow. that's my perspective is like, here, I'm going to do you guys a favor. This band is over. You ne you need to do something else now. Like I'm going to do something else now. Wow. Yeah. I'm looking at his art. Cool. Right now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's cool, yeah. He's uh, yeah. He, he lives in Dublin, and he's an he's an art, great artist. You know, wow. really good artist. Dude, well, this was awesome. This is good. This is good, man. This we can do like, this again. Yeah, this was like uh, you know, uh, two really kind of interesting Antipodean artists that we've spoken about, who've existed completely independent of each other, uh, but come from the same part of the world. You wow. think, you think maybe Jordan listens to Together Alone. You know what, man? I uh, I imagine that there's some nationalistic uh, importance and value mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, another Australian band that we can certainly I'll pick one of their albums for sure to to do in the future. But mm -hmm. Hiatus Coyote. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think. Uh, wait, am I wrong? I'm fucking. I might be wrong. I should hold hold up a second. Maybe. You're gonna are you geographically wrong here? Are they from I'm, fucking Peru or something? No, I think they're Australian. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're they, yeah they're they're Australian. They're from Mel. They, they uh they formed in Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, dude. There's something about Australia, man. Something dude, about Australia. Uh, I mean, fucking Bic Runga, Tim Finn, In Excess, Midnight Oil. Yeah. The Bee Gees. Bee Gees. Yeah, fucking wow. there's there's something in the water down there, man. Yeah, man. It's yeah. They've got some good shit. Hell yeah. You know? It's but yeah. uh yeah. Yeah, dude, and Te I think Tears uh, for Fears were from Tears Australia. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, Great hey, band. Hey, hey. <laughs>
I fucking love that song. Which one? Don't you forget. That's, about it's a different band, dude. Is it? <laughs> yeah, that's... That's not um, Tears for Fears? No, that's Simple Minds. They're from Scotland. Oh, fuck. I got it wrong. Yeah. Oh. Tears for Fears is everybody wants that's, to rule I, the... I love that song, too. Fucking I fucking great. love that song, man. Yeah. And you know that Tears for Fears? Remember that song, Mad World? All around us are familiar faces. The song oh from fucking God, yeah. I fucking love that that's, song. That's originally a Tears for Fears song. Really? They wrote that, yeah, man. Who who, yeah. who did that originally? Um, Tears for Fears. And then Gary Jules did like a piano version that was in Donnie Darko. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. check this out, right? You just said, mm-hmm. uh, what was the name of that? Uh, Mad World, right? Yeah. So Jordan Rakai on his next album after this one, Origins, the yeah. first song. He has a song titled Mad World. Mad World. It might be a cover. It's definitely not a cover, but okay. it's a cool song. I don't yeah. think it's as good of a song as that one, though. Yeah. That's a great fucking song. Yeah. Well, now, Tears for Fears version is, the original version is almost dancey. Is it? Yeah, it's like a pop song. but And then the Gary Jules version is very... Like just piano, do 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 do. Very kind of Michael Andrews piano. Michael Andrews is very distinctive, kind of Satie esque uh, piano composer. Very sparse, very spacey, but beautiful, beautiful chords. Very simplistic, and um, you know. And Gary Jules is an incredible singer uh, who just disappeared again. I don't know what he's doing now, but fuck, that's yeah. a great tune though. Everybody wants to yeah. sing. Yeah. The world. Um, yeah, cool. Really good. I mean, we should, right, yeah, dude. we should, uh, we should do it great again. songs like that, great mm-hmm. albums like that. Do it again, eventually in person, and uh, we'll have yeah. our instruments. It's gonna be fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, dude. it's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody, check out these albums, please. Do yourself a favor. You're welcome in advance, and uh, yeah, but dumb to see you. Thanks, Paul. Take care, Annie.